Well, hey, everybody, I'm Adam Shell, the pastor at Melbourne Heights, and welcome to our sermon podcast. And I want to start out this episode of our podcast by wishing you a very Merry Christmas. And Christmas, of course, is a time of year when we in the church prepare ourselves for the arrival of Jesus as he comes into this world as a baby. But sometimes at Christmas we get so caught up in baby Jesus that we forget that Jesus grows up. So right now at Melbourne Heights we are starting into a brand new series of sermons where we're going to be exploring stories from Jesus' life after he becomes a grown-up. Now we're calling this series Mosaic, and that's because each week we're going to take a look at a different piece or a different story from Jesus' life to see what that story has to tell us about who Jesus is. But it's not until you put all of these stories, all of these pieces together, that you can truly appreciate just who our Savior is. So let's go ahead and get right into this episode's sermon. It's been said that a picture is worth a thousand words. And this morning, I want to put that saying to the test. So in just a few minutes, I'm going to show you a few pictures that were taken at various points in my life. And I want you to try to figure out the story behind each of these pictures. So let's start with this first picture. What do you see you look at this picture. Well, you see a boy who's about five years old wearing sweatpants and a winter coat. And that boy is pointing at something that you might call a Christmas tree if you're willing to use the words Christmas tree loosely. Behind him is a rickety old door that could use a fresh coat of paint. So what's the story behind this picture? Did my kindergarten class do a production of Charlie Brown Christmas? Were we having a tough financial year in the Shell family, so we had to do Christmas on a budget? What's the story behind this picture? Or what about this second picture? Now, clearly this picture was clipped from a newspaper article. And in it, I'm talking on the phone with the police officer who's sitting right beside me. So what's the story behind this picture? Well, truth be told, it kind of looks like I'm making my one phone call after I got arrested. So you might be wondering how you ended up with a pastor who has a record. But is that really what's happening in this picture? Or what about this third picture? This picture was taken when I was all grown up, but I hadn't grown out my beard quite yet. My mom and my dad, they're standing beside me in this picture, and we are all dressed up. So clearly, something important is happening when this picture was taken. There's an American flag that's in the background, so maybe this was some sort of patriotic occasion. So what do you think the story is behind that picture? Now, even though you weren't in any of these pictures, and even though you weren't there when any of these pictures were taken, it probably isn't too difficult for you to imagine some sort of story behind each of those photos. But Just because you're able to imagine a story behind each of these pictures, that doesn't mean that those stories are true. There's only one person that's worshiping with us right now that actually knows what was happening when each of those pictures was taken. There's only one person who knows the story behind all of those photos. And for the pictures that we've shown you during this sermon, that person is me. So, when you saw the first picture, you may have been thinking about Charlie Brown. But the truth is that that first picture was taken during a family day at a Christmas tree farm when I was about five years old. That tree farm, which was really just a property that was surrounding a hundred-year-old farmhouse, invited kids to come out and to decorate the trees that they would be taking from their greenhouses and planting in their grass. 
So that tree may have looked pretty sad in that picture that was taken all those years ago, but in the 35 years since it was planted, that tree has undoubtedly turned into a beautiful Christmas tree that's been on display in someone's home. Or in the second picture that we showed you, the one where it looked like I was calling my mom to see if she would post my mail. Well, that picture was taken when I was in sixth grade as part of a program to teach kids what a 911 phone call is actually like. And if you don't believe me, if you're afraid that I actually was making my one phone call after being arrested, here's the blurb that was printed to go along with that picture. And what about that last picture that we showed you? Well, the American flag may have been in the background and made you think that we were doing something patriotic, but the truth is that that picture was taken right after I was ordained into the ministry over 17 years ago. But what do these pictures and the stories behind them have to do with anything? Well, to answer that question, it helps if you understand why we take pictures in the first place. And in an article for the Huffington Post, a professional photographer named Monica Schulman shares a few reasons why she takes pictures. And I think that most of us would agree with Monica's reasons for taking pictures. So, according to Monica Schulman, the first reason why we take pictures is because pictures make us feel something. We take pictures because pictures make us feel something. It may be the happiness that we feel at a birthday party, or it may be the awe that we have uh, during a sunset, or the satisfaction of a job well done. But there is some feeling that makes us want to grab our cameras and capture those moments. And that leads to the second reason why we take pictures. We take pictures because they help us hold on to memories. We take pictures because they help us hold on to memories. The reality is that there are just only so many first days of school. There are only so many holiday celebrations. There are only so many moments in our life that are filled with unbridled joy. And when those moments are over, they're over. So we want to find some way that we can hold on to those moments. And Monica's final reason for taking pictures is that we take pictures to share stories. We take pictures to share stories. There is just something about a picture that can completely transport us to another time and another place and remind us of something that goes far beyond the actual image that we see in an old photo album or on our smartphone screens. But how do we do any of these things before we could just pull out our smartphones and snap a quick picture? How did we do any of these things before we could instantly capture an image on a Polaroid camera? How did we do any of these things before the very first photograph was taken back in 1826? Well, there have been at least a few different ways that we have tried to capture feelings and to hold on to memories and to share stories throughout the ages. We've done this through artwork. We've tried to capture feelings in expressionist paintings like The Screen by Edward Munch. We've tried to hold on to important memories through romantic paintings like Washington Crossing the Delaware by Emmanuel Boots. We've tried to share stories through Renaissance frescoes like Michelangelo did when he painted the Sistine Chapel. But not every, not every one is an artist. We're not all capable of creating those beautiful works of art. So there has to be another way that we've tried to capture feelings, to hold on to our memories, and to share stories through
throughout our history. And there is. And this way has been accessible to almost every single person who has ever lived. And it's by using words. We try to capture feelings by saying things that something made us feel happy or sad or saying that something made us feel frustrated or disillusioned. We try to hold on to memories by asking, do you remember when this happened? Or we try to share stories from time to time that start with words like, once upon a time. Or to put it as simply as I possibly can for you, we use words to share things that matter. We use words to share things that matter. And although this may not be true of every word that you and I ever mutter, it's definitely true for every word that we read in the Bible. The Bible is a written record where God reveals who God is to us. And that means that the words that we find in the Bible, they matter. But just like one picture can't ever tell us an entire story, there is no one passage in the Bible that can completely show us who God is. So, if we want to know who God is, then we have to take the different words that are used in different stories and we have to piece them together to see the bigger picture of who God is. So sometimes I like to think of the Bible as being like a mosaic. Now, a mosaic is a way of creating one larger image by using a bunch of smaller pieces. So over the next few weeks here at Melbourne Heights, we are going to be taking smaller pieces. We're going to be looking at individual stories we find in the Bible. And we're going to try to put them together to see the bigger picture of who Jesus is. And along the way, we're going to take a look at a hodgepodge collection of stories from Jesus' life. And these stories will cover everything from the wise men's visit when Jesus was just a child, to Jesus' baptism, to the miracles that Jesus performed, and some of the lessons that Jesus taught us. And as we look at this conglomeration of different stories, there will be times when we struggle to understand what each of these stories mean. There will be times when it feels like we're trying to put together a picture while we're holding a box that is filled with mismatched puzzle pieces that will never quite fit together. But as we look at each one of these stories, as we reflect on the lessons that we learn from them, we'll find that they do reveal a larger picture who Jesus is. But just like when you put a mosaic together, it's ultimately up to you to figure out how those pieces will fit together. Because there have always been plenty of people who are unwilling to explore who Jesus really is. There have been plenty of people who haven't been willing to take the puzzle pieces, the mosaic pieces of who Jesus is, these stories we find, try to understand what they teach us about it. And we don't have to look any further than our scripture reading for today to find people who weren't really willing to explore who Jesus is. This morning's scripture reading, it comes from Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. And it's a pretty familiar story for us. It's the story of the wise men. But I want you to think about this story in a different way today. I want you to pay attention to how the different characters we meet in this story react to the good news of Jesus' birth. So, with all of that in mind, let's listen to these words from Matthew's Gospel and Matthew's biography of Jesus. Matthew writes, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem, in the territory of Judea, during the reign of King Herod, Magi came from the east to Jerusalem. 
They ask, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We've seen his star in the east, and we've come to honor him. When King Herod heard this, he was troubled, and everyone in Jerusalem was troubled with him. He gathered all the chief priests and the legal experts and asked them where the Christ was to be born. They said, in Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what the prophet wrote. You, Bethlehem, land of Judah, by no means are you least among the rulers of Judah, because from you will come one who governs, who will shepherd my people, Israel. Then Herod secretly called for the Magi and found out from them the time when the star had first appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search carefully for the child. When you found him, report to me so that I too may go and honor him. When they heard the king, they went and looked. The star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stood over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with Mary, his mother. Falling to their knees, they honored him. Then they opened their treasure chests and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Because they were warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they went back to their own country by another route. So did you notice how the characters in the story reacted to the news of Jesus' birth? Well, in case you missed out on it, we're going to spend a few minutes taking a look at how each of the different characters reacted one at a time. And the first character that I want to talk about is King Herod. And the first thing that we all need to know about Herod is that Herod is a master politician. Herod had used public alliances and backroom deals to become the king of the Jews more than 30 years before Jesus' birth. Since Herod was the long-reigning king of the Jews, the wise men announced that that there was a newborn king of the Jews was extremely troubling for Herod. And why is that? Well, it's because there can only be one king. And if this newborn was the king of the Jews, then that meant that Herod wasn't. And Herod? Herod was prepared to do whatever he had to do to guarantee that he remained king, including ordering the execution of small children. So for Herod, when he hears the good news that Jesus has come, it's not good news. For Herod, Herod sees Jesus as a threat to his way of life. And that threat was something that had to be dealt with. But Herod missed the point. Jesus had not come to take Herod's seat on the throne inside the walls of Jerusalem. Jesus had come to establish a new kingdom. A kingdom that was born out of love and grace. Not a kingdom born through violence and oppression. Then you have the religious leaders in this story. Gospel of Matthew calls them the chief priests and the legal experts that Herod calls for. And Herod asks these religious leaders where the, the king of the Jews was supposed to be born. And what do they do? Well, they quoted words from the prophet Michael. They tell Herod that the Christ was to be born in Bethlehem. And that's it. That is all that these religious leaders do. But don't you think they should have done more than that? I mean, ever since the royal line of David had come to an end, Roughly a thousand years earlier, the people of Israel had been waiting for David's successor. They had waited through the division of their kingdom into two separate nations, one in the north and the other in the south. They had waited as the Persians, the Babylonians, the Assyrians, the Greeks, and even the Romans had all invaded and taken over their country. They had waited through political infighting and violent wars. They had waited through ruthless rulers and appointed figureheads. 
years for the Messiah to come, and now their wait was over. So what did they do when they heard that the king of the Jews, the long-awaited Messiah, had finally arrived? They did absolutely nothing. They didn't celebrate. They didn't rejoice. They didn't pack their bags and follow the wise men to Bethlehem to go and see this newborn king of the Jews. But why is that? Why didn't they do any of those other things? They had been waiting a ton of years, a thousand years, for this news to come, only to sit back and do nothing because the religious leaders missed the point of Jesus coming too. The religious leaders knew that Jesus would bring an end to life as they knew it. These religious leaders had become skilled at maneuvering through the complex politics of the Roman Empire, and they had reached powerful positions. Remember, these were all people who were advising the king of the Jews, King Herod. But a new king meant that everything would change. So these religious leaders, the very same people who should have been the most excited about the arrival of their king, did absolutely nothing. And then you have the wise men. The wise men traveled hundreds, if not thousands of miles from the east because the stars had shown them that a king had arrived. The wise men didn't know who this king was. The wise men didn't know who this king's people were. The wise men didn't even know where this kingdom was located or where this newborn king had actually been born. But when the star appeared, the wise men went to find Jesus. They crossed deserts and rivers. They climbed mountains and traversed valleys. They traveled for months on end to meet a king that they didn't even know. Why is that? Well, they did it because the wise men got the point. The wise men knew that Jesus is worth chasing after. Jesus is worth worth chasing after. The wise men knew that Jesus wasn't a threat to their way of life. They knew that Jesus promised us all a better life. The wise men knew that Jesus wasn't focused on bringing an end to the old ways. They knew that instead Jesus was the beginning of something amazing. The wise men knew that Jesus' arrival marked the beginning of God's kingdom coming to this earth. And they knew that his arrival meant that God had become one of us. So, as we work our way through these different stories from Jesus' life on earth over the next few weeks, You have to ask yourself, which one of the characters from this first story do you want to be like? Do you want to be like King Herod and see Jesus as a threat? If that's how you want to respond to these stories of Jesus' life, then your heart is going to be hardened to anything that you might possibly learn about Jesus at all. Maybe you want to be like one of the religious leaders and see Jesus as the end to your way of life right now. That's the way that you want to respond to these stories. You won't do anything about the things that you learn over the next few weeks. Or do you want to be like one of the wise men? Do you want to be like one of the wise men and chase after a God that you know is worth knowing better? That's what this sermon series is really all about. This whole sermon series is about knowing Jesus better. So in the coming weeks, we're going to explore stories from Jesus' life. So over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about Jesus' baptism. And we're going to listen to some of the lessons that Jesus taught. And we'll even take a closer look at some of the miracles that Jesus performed. 
And one by one, we're going to see different pieces of the mosaic. They're going to be laid out before us. But it's up to you. It's up to you to do something with these pieces of the mosaic. It's up to you to do something with these stories. So you can be like Herod, and you can want to destroy these stories. You can be like the religious leaders, and you can try to ignore these stories. Or you can be like one of the wise men and do whatever it takes to meet Jesus for yourself and get to know Jesus better. Let's pray together. God, as we come to you in this time of prayer, we thank you for the story that we've heard today about Jesus. Specifically, we thank you for the story that we've heard about how other people reacted to Jesus' arrival on this earth. And we know that there are people in this world right now who respond to Jesus the same way that Herod did and want to destroy everything about him. There are other people who respond to Jesus like the religious leaders did and want to ignore him altogether. God, my prayer is that each one of us will be like the wise men and will see that Jesus is someone that is worth chasing after. So God, in the coming weeks, I pray that you open our hearts and our minds and our ears to hear the stories that we're going to be exploring brand new ways, and help us get glimpses of who Jesus really is, and then God, help us put this mosaic together to better understand our Savior. We pray it all in Jesus' name, amen. Well, hey, it's Adam again, and I just want to thank you for tuning in to this episode of our sermon podcast. And I hope that this sermon has challenged you to think about the way that you approach the stories from Jesus' life. Because you can approach them like King Herod, you can approach them like the religious leaders, or you can approach them like the wise men. And if you approach them like Herod or like the religious leaders in that time, you're not going to want anything to do with these stories. But if you approach them like the wise men, you're going to learn from these stories and you're going to come to appreciate who Jesus is. Well, in our next episode, we're going to continue to explore different stories from Jesus's life. And we're going to see how each of these pieces fit together to reveal to us who Jesus is. So we hope that you'll come back and join us when our next episode drops. As always, if you subscribe to our podcast, that episode will be sent straight to your favorite podcasting app. But you don't have to wait for our next episode to drop to join us for a special time of worship and to hear our sermons live. We would love to have you join us any and every Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. on our church website at mhbclouisville.com slash live. Well, until next time, I hope that you guys have a great week, that you have a very happy new year, and we'll see you back here soon for another sermon podcast.